look out my window. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are over 18, then this must be Porn Valley Observed, uncomfortably close with Graham Ponanti, America's beloved porn journalist. That's me. I talk with porn stars, porn directors, laborers in the skin trade, people just like you, but with a different calibration of shame. This is episode four, A New Hope, with Jack the Zipper. Jack the Zipper comes from a different time, though I'm pretty sure we're around the same age, 23. He's an artist, he's a hustler, he's a Westie from New York, and the women he likes to shoot, well, he'll, he'll tell you this himself, all possess a certain witchiness. Um, it's uncanny. It really, you know, um, you get the sense of um, there being a Jack the Zipper type of porn star. And uh, I think you'll like it if you're not familiar with his work. So I guess you can say he comes from a time mentally when the commodification of porn was secondary to the uh, aesthetic of it and the, uh, the taboo of it and the general loiny feeling of it. We'll talk more in the interview about this, but Jack rarely works for the same company twice, and each of his Baker's Dozen movies, including Stunt Girl and his most recent, The Killers, is a little independent gem that usually spawns a mini cottage industry of imitators. He's a cool dude. I like what he does, and he's got things to say. Um, you know, like, like a lot of us, his, uh, his business sense is... Uh, <laughs> also secondary to his artistic sense. They're, um, they're picking up the trash outside. That's why it's so sexy here. Must be the season of the witch. Must be the season of the witch, yeah. I'm going to mention Catalyst Con again. Catalyst Con is, for someone like me, raised on porn conventions, a sex worker of a different color. It's a three-day seminar on sex culture, sex-positive activism, and inclusiveness. Over the past few years, this bi-coastal convention has also attracted more and more people from my world, from the world of porn, including Jessica Drake, Nina Hartley, April Flores, and me, uh, so when Catalyst Con West rolls into Burbank from September 11th to the 13th, 2015, I will be there to present a reprise of a program I gave in Washington, D.C. in March, covering porn, my life as an American porn journalist. It is a title that reflects the awesome weight of the mantle I carry and its importance in our time. People round here say you're a witch. They're intrigued in seeing you roast. Really Porn Valley Observed, uncomfortably close with Graham Panante's founding sponsor, is Gamelink.com. Since 1993, Gamelink has been a leading and groundbreaking supplier of both video-on-demand and DVD-based porn in America and throughout the universe. Its editorial site, Naked Truth, is a great place for thoughtful porn reviews and porn star interviews. Um, you know, before I started doing any of this stuff, 
uh, even before I knew about porn, I would have laughed in your stupid face if you had um, suggested to me that porn movies could be reviewed. Um, you should you should check out GameLink.com just to see how a porn movie can be reviewed. Because, you know, if, uh, if porn is repetitive and it's um, formulaic and it oversaturates the market, then the thrill we get out of it must have a lot to do with ourselves and the things we project onto it. And I'm not just talking about what we project onto the underside of our desks, our dog, our dead moms. Anyway, take a look at the reviews. You'll like them. So visit gamelink.com at your earliest convenience after you listen to this uh, interview with Jack the Zipper. Buy all his movies there. And if you want to get a 20% discount off your first order, just use the keyword G-R-A-M, Graham, at checkout to get that 20% off. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy my interview with Jack the Zipper. Certainly the children have seen them in quiet places where the moss grows green. Colored shells jangle together. The wind is cold, the year is old, the trees whisper together and bend in the wind they lean. All right, well, this is Graham Panante, and uh, I'm sitting here with Jack the Zipper, uh, someone I, somebody I admire a great deal, always dressed in black. I've never seen him uh, wearing anything but the absence of light, and... I'm going to be on his podcast, and he's going to be on mine. You can listen to both of these things with different framing devices. So, for example, I might have just said, well, yeah, today I went out to Jack the Zipper's house, and he was, he was so genteel, and he was so kind, and he made, he made me lunch, and I really liked it. And uh, here's the interview. And then when you listen to Jack the Zipper's version, he might say, Graham came over, he was late. What a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming to the canyon. It's uh it's my favorite place in Los Angeles. This is the part of Los Angeles that I most identify with. Yeah, you and Charles Manson. Yeah. The spawn ranches, you could almost see it from from where we're sitting. You know, we could even call Porn Valley the Spawn Ranch. It's if the, we spelled <laughs> if we spelled it differently. Yes, it's the it's the, it's the spawn of something. Actually, I've been living up here for a while, as you know. It's it's a pretty quiet town overlooking Los Angeles. A lot of horses, a lot of retired FBI. Yeah, I think um, right around the corner from you is where Lucy and Desi had their ranch. Yeah. And it's I, been subdivided since then. but Yeah, man. And um, right up the road is Butterscotch Mansion, where the captain and Tennille lived. Yep. And now they shoot hard, there. hardcore. They, yeah. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers are buried in the Chatsworth Cemetery right down the street. Yeah. Driving out here is like driving onto the moon. Other than Charles Manson, um, the best, you know, sort of accidental depiction of this place was in 
It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, when yes. Uh, George and Mary are taking the martinis out of their out of their <laughs> Potterville slum and they're bringing them to the new development and uh, you know Mary's giving them salt and she's blessing the goats and off in the distance the camera just moves over to the left for a second and you see these very mountains onto which you know millions of loads have been shot. Wow, you paint quite a picture. <laughs> friend of mine is a gunsmith he did all the john ford westerns he's been up here his whole life he used to shoot elk on the side of my building that i live in in the 60s a friend of his saw him walking down the road one night and rolled up and said jump in and he jumped in he saw these big containers and turned out his friend was taking two big gallons of liquid acid up to spawn ranch because uh, he was going to sell them to Charlie. Driving through the gates, the girls themselves coming out and sticking their faces in the, in the van and looking around, checking them out, seeing if they were okay or if they weren't okay. And then Charlie himself coming out and um, pulling a huge wad of money out of his pocket and paying for it and then inviting him in for the acid trip party. I mean, Jesus Christ. Like Spawn Ranch is up there now and it's empty, obviously, but this guy grew up here. The depth of history here in such a transitional place is something that always takes people by surprise. Yeah, now it's just calm. I mean, horses, a lot of horses up here. It's cool. So anyway, so you are quite possibly the last journalist in adult, if you ask me. I mean, who's doing journalism besides you? Well, I like your, I like your opinion. You're a voice in our world, man. And whenever we talk, we get right into it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not going to say that's because we're not from here, but uh, you do some things that I think are really interesting. And I, I, I think porn is interesting because we project, you know, literally and figuratively, a lot of ourselves onto it. You know, sometimes you can look at something that's so formulaic, maybe five scenes, two people most seen, sometimes three, and think, how, how can this industry keep churning that stuff up over and over? And it's, it's because people will see something like that, replaceable dolly heads, and they'll throw everything they have onto those two people. And, <laughs> yeah, okay. I see where you're going. Projecting and, your id onto... Uh, onto a blank surface. Onto... Onto a, yeah. Right. Um, and, it, and it really is a naked surface. Yeah. Well, it's very powerful. It, it's a powerful medium. Like, if you think about it, what's more powerful than the this, this, this sex drive? And then all of a sudden, you're connecting it to transmitting it electronically all over the planet. It's got to be some hidden power there. I think the whole thing is there's hidden power there. I don't think it's actually being used well, I, most I, of the time. But Yeah. I think that the people... I think people choose to forget that uh, porn is a representation of, of your own desire. Uh, the rhythm of that mm -hmm. kind of gets people into the flow of things that they might have been thinking about otherwise. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think you're right. Like every year there's a new crop of performers that show up from other towns, other cities, other parts of the world. They come to, to L.A., per, let's say, because this is where you get your stamp of approval, I guess, or this is where you start your, your thing. A lot of the girls right now come from Florida 
and they bring Florida with them. I mean, like, right. It's the 21st century. It's 2015. It's America. And Florida is very specific. Yeah. And, and, and they're bringing it and it's ending up in movies. To me, that's the thing. Like, like I'm just trying to figure out who these people are. Anybody that would choose to do that and then actually figure out a way to be a professional. We were hanging out with Marine Angel in, in Vegas and I shot you and her in the room and we, we were shooting. She's a professional. She, she comes to LA, she's, she books herself now, but she was being booked by an agent and she shows up on set and she kills it. And then she goes back home to Florida and comes back a month or two later and does it all over again. And, and she's a consummate professional at the age of 18. I mean, Jesus Christ, I could never have done that. No, and I, the, in, the, in the same way that I admire single mothers, Mm-hmm. I I admire the 18 to 19 year old porn star mm-hmm. because she's known at a clinical level um and her ass is famous and her ass is famous but you know you you think about it anybody else who's 18 or 19 trying to make it in the in the mainstream entertainment world and they've got this phalanx of people protecting them mm-hmm. whereas a porn star She's out there, literally and figuratively, her ass in the air, trying to control an image and trying to keep her shit together in a world that's unbelievably cruel. And so, yes. It helps to be cool. I mean, mean, here's the other side of that coin. I mean, you get out of your own way when you're making a movie, if you're lucky. Explain. I happen to live down the street from the model houses. These girls just live here and work here and go back home. A lot of them, like I said, come from the southern part of America. So I made kind of like a Florida Girl movie. I don't know. It's kind of like Triple X Spring Breakers or something. What What is it about, um, you know, there, there's there been girls from Florida in the adult industry for a while, but the the two women that we hung out with mm-hmm. in... Uh, in Vegas, Marina and Ariel Adore and, uh, slash Nadia White. She changed and, her name. Right. You know, they're they um they don't look like your standard issue porn girl. Not even close. From no. the valley. And they come in and then they go out. Hollywood is an empty vessel. Hollywood is a stage where they come from I guess they're considered wild. I mean, they have to be. And the trick is to not change that or step on that the trick is to get that on camera all the girls i like to shoot whenever i find a girl that i really love to shoot even you know going back to all the movies i did it, they're always just cool like like they're not trying to add some layer so you you like the ones who are uh they just unaffected are. they just are if affectation is their thing and they do that naturally all day, whether or not there's a camera on them or not, then yeah, I'll shoot that. But I guess my point is they're coming here, they're making movies. Yeah, they're doing scenes with other adult performers. They get tested. They stay in crews of people. They're kind of like a secret society. Not just anybody can suddenly be in a scene with somebody else. It's not, it doesn't work that way. So they're, they're doing all that. That's, I, guess they're, I guess they're just good at that naturally. But the other thing that they didn't expect was now they got a fan who's in a wheelchair in Ohio or something. And they do that well too. I like finding how far it goes, you know, because maybe when they're 40, they'll be a different person. But right now they're, they're very much who they are. You can catch that on camera. You don't have to add anything. You don't have to dress them up in a schoolgirl outfit. You don't have to. It, it's true. And you know, I, uh, I'll, I'll agree with you up to that point, but for example, we're, we're in Vegas and 
I'm fully willing to believe that Marina Angel might be clattering around the streets of Jacksonville wearing the six-inch heels and the onesie, showing her ribs through it. Yeah. But you did bring those clothes for her, or she she brought clothes for herself to be in a porn scene. No. You see, well, you'd be right most of the time, but that day, no. She was staying in that rich guy's suite, (laughs) and um, she just brought her crappy suitcase of clothes that she likes to travel with and i just went and grabbed her and she just showed up and that was her street clothes i didn't ask her to put on anything well (laughs) (laughs) that was how she is that's well that's what i mean that's her thing but i mean we were at (laughs) porn ground zero yeah for you know the year 2015 if you and i went to her trailer in jacksonville yeah and i don't know if she's from jacksonville Uh, we'll use it yeah, uh, Jacksonville stands in for Florida here. Yep. Uh, she would not be in that onesie. Uh, you know, I'd like to. I'd like to believe. Okay. That uh, I would knock on her trailer door and she would appear in that onesie. But I, I have a feeling that she'd be wearing pretty much what I'm wearing right now. Well, assuming she's living in a trailer park. But yeah, I totally get your point. I, I do agree. All I'm saying is I'm always looking for who they really are, and I use it all the time. I, I'm, so I'm, who's the zipper girl? Uh. They're not a victim. They're not stupid. They're extremely photogenic. They want to do good work. They're not in it to just make some money. They're in it to be some sort of a star or some sort of a performer, artist, whatever you want to call it. They want to be in good movies. They don't want to be in bad movies. They want to look important. They want the sexual message that they're sending to be powerful, I suppose. Think about how daring it is to do what they're doing. You may be the sexiest person in the world, and you and your wife may have the best sex, but just wrap your mind around what you'd have to do if you made that jump, if you made that conceptual leap. It's a lot of energy you're putting out into the world. So they instinctively know the witchcraft that they're creating. They just instinctively know it. They may not be able to give it a name or break it down or deconstruct it in a college classroom, but they know exactly that they're playing with some sort of fire. That's the girl I like. What a, what attracts you to the witches? And I really I really <laughs> like that that choice. And of that's word. just a word. I mean I mean that's just a, a a good word to sum it up. You know they're not casting spells or like reading the tabernacle of whatever Salem. They see that there's magic in being alive and maybe not doing. They see the potential energy in these exploits of theirs. Let me ask you this. Uh, could, might that, have you ever seen the, the Adam McGoin movie uh, Exotica? Yeah. It's a movie about a strip club yeah, yeah. and a lost girl. Yeah. And there's a character in it who is the announcer. And I don't think I'd ever been to a strip club before I saw Exotica. So the strip club announcer in this movie talks like he's a high-end products catalog you ever see a girl in uh thigh-high lace-up boots and uh the the dress and the and the the white oxford shirt and so he's he's announcing women like that but he's announcing them as they're going up to dance that way sure and so you know then when i then i when i started going to strip clubs i kind of expected that guy yeah but that guy is essentially the male gaze and what i'm getting at here is when you're talking about these women not giving a fuck or just just existing within themselves 
are they aware of that or is that something that you like to believe about them mm-hmm. and i'm and i'm going to fully cop to that's something that i like to believe about them well you'll have to ask them i think more often than not they're aware of plenty i mean let's face it a woman's you know right and left hemispheres are firing what twice as hard as ours they're bringing in all kinds of sensory information and are aware of all kinds of things i'd like to think they're on the same page when we're working when i did blacklight beauty I shot Ali Sin, and the first and last scenes of Blacklight are Ali. She had been in the adult business for maybe a couple of months. I had seen some images of her, and she seemed really special. She just seemed really beautiful, type of person I'd want to shoot. And I built an entire day just for her, and we booked it way in advance. And I was doing Blacklight Beauty very meticulously. Every location was special. Every situation was special. All the performers were handpicked. So I couldn't just substitute a person. It was alley or nothing kind of thing. And um, the morning... Was that for Hustler? Uh, no, it wasn't actually. It was uh, Pulse Okay, uh, was the producer. And that was the first movie ever made for Pulse. And I was going to make a bunch of movies for Pulse, but they decided not to make movies after the economy changed. So it was the fledgling attempt at turning... P- pulse into a, a studio and they were extremely kind and gave me nine months to make one movie which i'm famous for which is not the way you're supposed to do these <laughs> you're supposed to spend nine minutes you know so but right. but i but i worked on blacklight for nine months and, and um as they were building pulse distribution i was kind of cobbling together their first big movie so it was kind of a good time for me i was getting the luxury of a good budget and time so i so i i, I took my time and i kind of every scene was a certain way and um Allie was important, you know, and we're on location and I get a call from the agent. She's sick. Where's the location? Uh, it was a famous bar down in Hollywood. Really cool looking place. The Burgundy Room. Yeah, it, was a, it, it looked like a Bukowski bar. Yeah, it really did look like a CBGB's bathroom and all that. No one had ever shot at the Burgundy Room. No one had ever shot hardcore there, but I kind of met someone and I figured out a way to get the owner to let me go in and shoot a, a, a porn scene there. No one had ever done that before. So I was really excited that I was in there. If I'm just shooting in some living room in, in Sherman Oaks with an Ikea lamp in the background, I'd say I'm done. I quit. Uh, I have to be somewhere interesting. It has to seem important that we're there doing it. So I talk myself onto a lot of locations that I'm not supposed to be on because I just refuse to shoot in a crappy place. So I, there's always a little bit of tension that I'm actually attempting a scene in some of these places. But I'm getting a phone call that she's sick and she's not coming. So I don't know what I did. I, I made them go get her some Dayquil. Because, you know, I just, you take DayQuil and you don't, you forget you're sick for 12 hours. And so, so for whatever reason, she soldiered her way to the set. But when she got there, she was miserable. Not, not because she wasn't feeling well. She was miserable because she had just shot her first couple of weeks of commercial porn. She was from Florida and she had just done a bunch of stuff that she really hated. She hated the way this, I'm not trying to cast aspersions as to who might have shot her. I'm just saying she did not like those shoots. And she showed up with a big attitude. And she hated everyone, everything, hated Los Angeles, hated fucking porn. And the next morning she was getting on a plane and she was leaving. And that was it. She didn't want to ever do it again. The fact that she was even on set was a miracle considering. But when she got there, she was just a miserable, angry, upset person. And I had been imagining her as you said i saw how this whole day was supposed to be and i saw what i wanted to to shoot in my mind for weeks you know i had a problem 
so I sat her down. We sat at the bar. She was really looking at me sideways. You know, she didn't know me from from anyone. She was pissed, and I just I just remember looking at her, and I was just like, "What do you want?" And she goes, "What?" I'm like, "What do you want? Why are you doing this? Like, why are you in Los Angeles? Why are you fucking on a porn set? Like, what do you want?" And she looked at me, man, like she wanted to stab me. But then I guess she uh, she just decided to tell me, and she just said. I wanted to fucking come to Los Angeles and like make really cool movies. I imagine all these amazing things. And next thing I know, I'm with these fucking assholes and I'm doing this like all girl bukkake and I got these fucking girls pissing in my face and I'm like fucking sick and my boyfriend doesn't fly on airplanes so I had to come out here all by myself and I'm like, ah, okay. She's here, she's lonely. She's got girls peeing on her and some stupid, you know, valley shoot. And she didn't wanna, she wanted to do cool shit. End of story. And the way she imagined it is not what was happening for her. So I said, all right, okay, thanks for telling me. Guess what? I've been building this scene for you for months. Like, I see you as this, and I want to shoot this. And I kind of explained to her what I wanted. And I said, look, I want you to be able to look at this movie 30 years from now and be proud of it. I mean, did you ever hear about Betty Page's life? Like, we, we sat there for like, I don't know, an hour. I, we, we talked. And I, I guess I won her over because that scene is one of the best scenes I've ever shot. And she was unbelievably fantastic in it. It is glorious and squalid. All her, though, man. She was the, she's the thing. And uh, she flew home the next day and did retire from porn and never made another movie but to this day she's proud of that movie and she's told me you know years later that she has fans that you know talk to her about that movie and she's she's actually done signings down in the the the, the, the strip clubs in florida i guess wherever wherever you know her locals she does a lot of stuff but she she got out of the business but she got to do that one thing that she was proud of how are uh, how are porn stars different in your uh, estimation different from mainstream actors yeah Different now, different from the general citizenry. You know, we we talk a little mm. bit about you and your wife might be the uh, the best swingers in Orange County, <laughs> right? Um, but the leap that you make, yeah, between you know somebody's yeah. sunken floored McMansion and uh, you know running the camera is is a massive one. Well, you got the concept of forever. If somebody's that interested and projecting their energy that they they know for a fact those movies are going to be out there forever. You're getting in front of a camera to make a movie. It's not accidental. They obviously think the power of their sexuality is something that's good. And that they want to preserve. And that's worth preserving. And they know there's power there. And the company's going to want this and they've got to sign that and some web guy is going to steal their name and somebody's going to edit the scene and, you know, they're going to look bad in, in some clip. And that's all going to happen to them on t- over and above that simple idea they had in the beginning. But there's somebody doing, you know, an under five role on a sitcom, for example. Yeah. And making a thousand dollars for that day. Yeah. The money is definitely it, you know. Uh, yeah. When when we're when we're talking about somebody from Arizona or from Florida who would not necessarily make that kind of money in a day, much less a week or a month, mm-hmm. um, the money is something. But the the balance between the idea of I'm getting a thousand dollars for this plus I have a way to exercise my power in a way that 
probably wouldn't have that opportunity to. Well, maybe it's about opportunity. I mean, like I know I got into it because I was a punk guitarist, you know, and, and I was touring and traveling. And, uh, and you're from New York originally? Yeah, you know, but I, I traveled a lot. And um, as I got a little older, I, I realized making movies was really interesting. I mean, everything I was good at is summed up in filmmaking. So I saw some future for myself making film. But I wasn't connected... I didn't have an uncle who, you know, was part of Sundance. Like, like I'm kind of working class. I didn't have that dramatic background. I didn't. I couldn't even afford a good camera. So I was not connected. Like, like you wouldn't have seen me on the festival circuit with some indie film. Like, I just wasn't. I was a million miles away from that. But I still wanted to do it, and I still saw it in my head through a series of accidents. I was able to finance and shoot the first couple of zipper movies and their triple x movies i didn't even care like like the, i guess the the point for me was that i didn't really care that they were triple x or r or or g I, I i wasn't doing it for that reason you were just making movies yeah and i didn't have an agenda to break into porn it somebody dared me and had money and i made them and it, i learned how to edit and shoot and and that was for me, it was an accident. So maybe a lot of people, for them, it's their only maybe path to being in front of a camera. Maybe they're just not hooked up. Maybe they just don't know the right people. Maybe they never would have got out of their town. But this was a way to be a star. I mean, if you look at all the history of porn and you see all these beautiful, iconic movie stars that are in, like, look at Seika. Look at all these icon, absolutely iconic women. They're in this radioactive art form that has all kinds of political ramifications. But they're just resonating like like supernovas on camera they have everything a, a legitimate movie star may have you know and those were the cameras they were able to get in front of maybe it's as simple as that a lot of times i don't know so you you have to find a vessel into which to gotta, pour your art gotta figure out a way to get the job done yeah you got like if, if your if your job is to get in front of cameras you got to get in front of cameras you know and if your job is to shoot stuff you got to shoot stuff like like i have friends that Ask me how to become a photographer. They think I'm a photographer. I, I, I guess I am. It's one of the jobs I do. But I, I have a friend who's actually very well known. He's on TV and stuff like that. But he's never been a photographer. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go have dinner with this famous photographer. And um, and then I'm going to figure out from that dinner how I become a photographer. And, and, and I was like, what What are you talking about? Like, just go, go get a camera and just start shooting but I wanted to ask you something. What did you mean the other day on the phone when you were talking about the despair, how everybody's moving out of L.A. and shit? Let's talk about the exodus and the despair. I'm, fa- I'm going to interview you for a minute. Oh, sure. No problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fascinating... You are a fascinating I, get. I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, as a uh, long time ago, I had a uh, had an English professor who, you know, we were, we were talking about this and that, and his lapsed Catholicism. And he said that, I still pray to my childhood saints. You know, there, there's things that you hear in your life. They hit you at the right time, and they're like a ton of bricks. As, as Jonathan Richmond says, you know, it, it brings up hurt from when you were five years old. And I think there's, uh, there's a lot of our childhoods in the things that we do. One of the things that I remember about, uh, you know, but, my... But Graham's not the last journalist. 
in adult. Right. Yeah. One, one of the things I remember from, uh, from Catholic school was that uh, despair is a sin. Uh-huh. And I take that early education and I leave that early education. Uh-huh. And I think that a lot of what I see around me here in Los Angeles, which is my adopted city, yep. is despair. People have left because there's a constant state of fear here that one more thing is going to happen that will drive the porn industry out of Los Angeles. Then there's a drought and there is, you know, there was an economic downturn that has still not uh, completely uh, rebounded to include, you know, all our brethren in this industry. LA is tremendously expensive. There's a lot of shit that's being shot for free. People can't make a living. And so something that could really support someone 10 years ago isn't doing that anymore. People are living in much less expensive Las Vegas. People are flying in from Florida, which is a great idea. Yep. People are shooting in New Hampshire, which is the only other state where it's legal to shoot porn. Wow, live free or die. Yeah. I'm going to go up there. I didn't even know that. Uh, I feel like we're making the mistake of not letting people know who you are. Uh, I know who you are, and people who would listen to this podcast know who you, who you are. But uh, some, some guy 20 years from now. Some guy, you've, you've worked for, you've done 13 or 14 different movies now. Yeah. A lot of people work for the same company over and over again. You've worked for, <laughs> for 14 different companies, and each of your movies is <laughs> a little jewel. But you don't have a creative home unless you're talking about, you know, the, the hope and goodwill of all Americans. Um, well, I'm, make, I'm making it for people to see. Like, here's the good news about all that despair. No one gives a fuck if L.A. porn crashes and burns. Like, who cares? Like, the sex is sex. And young, rowdy, sexy people who want to do all that, it's just going to flourish everywhere else. If, if, if the center doesn't hold, it'll become stronger as like a fabric of people all over the planet. You know, like, like that's, that's very sweet. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I've been, I've been living here for, for a decade, you know, um, I came here, like I said, by accident. Next thing I knew I was hustlers, new hot director. And we were talking about like a 20 year residency over there. Like I'm sitting in the office with Larry Flint, you know, talking about Milos Foreman and his history and what, what he thought good adult was. And like everybody thought my first shit was was either satanic or dark content or something i I don't know like my stuff wasn't lit by big industrial hollywood strobe lights there was a lot of shadow so i didn't even realize it i was just i just didn't have any money man like those lights are expensive so so there was a lot of shadow in in the in the first few movies but it was actually just me run doing run and gun camera in real in real situations so i but guess the I the, sha- the uh the shadow the light illuminated the right stuff as i remember well yeah well I, I was looking through the hole people thought i was trying to be dark but i wasn't i never try to be dark but i guess i am dark subconsciously there's a thread of that so here i am like with my first you know stunt girl had come out and i had just done the sequel and it was a big hit it was like having a hit record you know, like my first m- movie was made totally on a dare and it was huge by adult standards and opened all the doors so they scooped me up over at hustler and i'm sitting in his office and i had just gotten off the road 
playing with an industrial band, you know, and he's talking about people just want to say, you know, good stories about lovers living in a cul-de-sac. And I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, he's going to hate me. <laughs> you know, so, so, so I made Squealer, <laughs> you know, which is the fucking antithesis of everything he just said in the room, you know. And But he was, you know, obviously running the huge empire. I, I you know, I, I spoke to him a couple of times and then, then it all fell apart anyway. But he was right in a way. Like, like here's here's what I here's what I didn't understand that he did but he told me it in like the cul-de-sac model which sounded dumb to me but what he was right about was you are selling health you're selling the healthy magic of being a human being and what it did was that conversation I had with Flint um, brought me back around to just when I was a kid and I was looking at you know Playboy and Penthouse because I would find those magazines in the woods and stuff and just, wow, they're all, you know, moldy and I'd break them open and I'd see all this amazing, you know, erotic photography back when I was a kid, you know. But it's true. I mean, the promotion of some sort of inner health that a lot of these performers just have, they just look superhuman sometimes or... or, or There's a vitality. The vitality. Yeah, you're, you're selling that. You are. I get it. And it was, wasn't even on my radar when I first got in. I was just literally trying to be some sort of a, a punk rock filmmaker. But over the years, I get it. I'm always trying to blow sunlight into my movies. That's my challenge. Not, not. I'm not trying to be, be weird or dark. I'm trying to blow some sunlight in. So I have the opposite problem probably of everybody that's trying to be cool. Like the funny thing was, as I was getting a bigger name in the business and uh, I had a few movies that did, you know, the first couple of big movies that did, did really, really well. I got a call from somebody who didn't know I was Jack, but knew me. And... Um, huh tried to hire me to rip off a Jack the Zipper movie for a very well-known company. They wanted to take my last movie and just copy it note for note, and they needed somebody who could edit in that style, and they wanted to know if I could do the job of ripping Jack off. So I gave them some crazy fucking price that was just ridiculously high, and and um, I think they actually made the movie because I think they, uh, they got a bunch of performers from my movies and I think they told me that they had been in that Jack the Zipper clone movie that they made. But, well, what but, was this movie? You can, you can say. Well, they were trying to rip off Blacklight Beauty because Bla- right. Blacklight Beauty was a big AVN winner and it was just a big crossover movie at, uh, at the time. So, uh, just so they saw it as a commercial, you know, it's worth stealing. So someone knew you. But didn't know I was Jack. But didn't know you were Jack the Zipper. And offered me the job of ripping off Jack the Zipper. And uh, <laughs> now you you had just come off the road uh, a few years before. Yeah. And you taught yourself how to do a lot of these things. Yeah. You don't you don't have a film degree. Nope. Uh, so from from what I understand, you don't have an alternate career uh, directing music videos, right? No. So how did this person know that? you even had those skills i mean it, it's because, a great it's a great story but i need a little bit more detail well just because i'm in the hustler building or over at vivid or over at one of these places if somebody says this is blank i use my real name you know or if they happen to know who i am they'll say this is jack but if if i'm just being introduced to somebody just for the first time and they shake my hand i tell them my real name because i i'm not jack jack is the guy in the audience watching like jack right. is male energy so that's why there's no pictures of, of me i can't even see you now right so, so so we walk into a party and i meet you and and someone you may just hear 
my other name that and for the first time. But I'll say, so what do you do? Well, he's Why a, he's a director. He's an editor. He's okay. a shooter. You know, whatever. Like he's he's whatever. He's good. Like whatever was said between whoever. You know, I could be flipped a, a, a gig. So now that makes sense. You know, you're you're an independent producer. A lot of people in Porn Valley, yeah, um, are journeymen. You know, yeah. in in that way that they they are. I I think of people like Mike Quasar, like Alex Ladd, uh-huh. Jim Powers, uh-huh. all these people who've made hundreds of movies. Oh yeah, and they they know they know how to get in and out they're they're masters of that craft they're much smarter at it than i am all of those guys anybody that shot hundreds and hundreds of movies they continue to make money yeah uh and 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 more power to them and this and this is not a backhanded compliment or, or anything like that i always i always admire people who can continue to make a living yes in this business it's hard but you you have the luxury or the curse of you know having made these you know dozen and change films what a lot of people don't know is i shot a lot of playboy tv but i didn't use the name jack so no, oh. no one knows i shot that stuff i mean in full disclosure but i get i get your point um but i did that after jack you know like they got me because i was jack but then they wanted me to do playboy type stuff for tv so i did you know, like, see that was the other thing like so you did some you did some journeyman stuff on your own i did a lot of i did stuff for playboy mostly the whole thing was i had no agenda to break into adult my partner john just talked me into it and i talked him out of money and we flew to la and we shot everybody and we made stunt girl it happened by accident that i had a hit movie doors were opening and people like andrew blake were really high on my work and just telling everybody about me it happened all by itself i didn't have to do any politicking whatsoever as a matter of fact i must have turned down so many great opportunities back then because i didn't know how to shark it and uh-huh. i didn't know how to do the right you know, a director's supposed to get his next movie while the movie he's got out is doing well. That's when you're supposed to put your next deal together. I turned down so many things. I turned down New Wave Hookers, the reboot that VCX wanted to do. Uh, they wanted to give me um, Vivid Alt. That was supposed to, they wanted me to run that. Uh, I turned that down. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was sitting in the office with Hirsch and Vivid, and he's telling me about how he owns this much real estate on the wall of every porn store, but he wants to own this much more real estate on the walls of every porn store. So Vivid Alt was going to be born, whether or not, you know, they wasn't named that at the time, but it became that. I almost made a huge movie for Vivid, but it, it fell apart. I actually pulled the plug and they probably hate me. Was the Blacklight Beauty ripoff made it Vivid? No, no, that story was not a Vivid story. I, I, I won't say who it was, but it, it, uh, it's, a, it's a studio that I think is really cool. But, um... It just goes to show how, you know, like you say, they're making hundreds of movies. I mean, Jesus Christ, how many ideas can you have? I guess if there's something out that everyone's talking about, I guess jump on. I don't know. I don't, I don't fault them. I, I, I like when artists rip me off. I mean, the re- when I first met Andrew Blake, you know, it was because as I was cutting Stunk Girl, I realized I was ripping him off. I, I, was, I had a lot of Blake movies. I was watching Blake movies, and um, he has a very specific editing style. He was the only guy, an adult, that was shooting on film and editing in a very... Uh, you know, subconscious way, sort of mise-en-scene. No one else was doing anything remotely like Andrew Blake. And I I had been watching the guy's movies for years. So, so when I picked up, you know, a camera and shot and had to cut it, it turned out I was ripping the guy off. And I was aware of it. 
I was ripping him off by accident, but I was aware that I had done it. So I walked up to him at, at a convention in Atlantic City. This was before the movie was released. And, and I said, Mr. Blake, uh, I just made my first movie. I wanted to introduce myself. And I wanted to apologize to you for ripping you off. <laughs> and he was like, what? Who the fuck are you? Like, he, you know, he's, he's Andrew Blake. He's a little like cranky, you know. But a few months later, I, I handed him a demo of, of Stunt Girl. And, and he just grabbed it and, and just right. started to ignore me. And, um, but a few months later, he called, you know called me in new york and and I, you know, he's like uh yeah mr zipper I'm like, yeah mr blake he goes yeah um so I, I met you in atlantic city you gave me that demo i thought he was all pissed you know <laughs> i was like yeah he goes it's fucking brilliant man i'm like what he goes i've been watching it over and over again it's the best fucking porn movie i've ever seen come on man he goes it's fucking brilliant i'm like really he goes yeah i go yeah. oh thanks you know, I'm getting ready to release it on DVD, man. Can I quote you? <laughs> he goes, I want you to write fucking brilliant exclamation point on the back of the box, Andrew Blake, which I did. <laughs> and then ever since, he's said nothing but nice things about me. But but um, but then he invited me to a few of his sets, and Kimberly Kane ended up in a couple of his movies, and I was invited to watch him work with her. And, um, and then subsequent Andrew Blake titles that came out after that, um, he was ripping me off. And I could see just dead rips and his some of his shit, and I was like, "Wow, he's repaying the favor. That's cool as hell." He was the only guy in porn that was even remotely like that as a filmmaker, you know. And that's what I thought being a filmmaker was. So, so I was really lucky to to meet him early because well, he, he broke kind, open the doors. It's kind of a it's kind of an old school thing, you know. Pe- people yeah. don't people don't realize how closely porn often mirrors. Hollywood. Can you talk a little bit about uh, when you met Jamie Gillis? Yeah. The very first adult person I ever Other than your parents. Met. Right. No, when I, when I was a kid, you know, in the woods, stumbling across magazines and stuff, I finally found a movie or two and watched them, and it was on the prowl. Wow. Jeez, man. I, you know, I, uh, I think there is a generation in America that is dying off of people whose first exposure to pornography were, the, were those waterlogged and encrusted things oh my god in the I, woods I, behind it was it was it was literally my introduction to women during that time <laughs> I, I ended up obviously you, you end up starting to see movies because you're a teenager or whatever but um yeah I, the first stuff i ever saw was the first movie i ever saw was dogorama which was linda lovelace and the german shepherd oh wow that was being projected on a basement wall at a friend's house that was the very first porn i ever saw was was linda lovelace having sex with a german shepherd was that was, was that your friend's dad who had that yeah somebody just had it and like literally a super 16 projector kind of deal on a, on a basement wall i remember how beautiful i thought linda lovelace was the the surrealism of the dog was incidental to me at that even even back then it was more I just really was amazed at how hot she was the fact that the dog was in the room was incidental to me that's how weird I guess my childhood was but then I ended up seeing on the prowl and um, something about on the prowl I really liked so um, I I saw, what was it about on the prowl that you liked I used to drag my girlfriends um, into public situations and I liked when girls were bad. Uh, that whole being jealous of your girlfriend, something about it I liked. I liked being jealous of my girlfriend. I, I, I didn't want to murder them. I, it made me want to, you know. So the jealousy wasn't a negative thing? 
Well, it was super negative. It was suffering on an incredible scale like every guy goes through. You know, imagine, remember your first girlfriend. I remember when you thought she might have been cheating on you. Just remember that. Every guy remembers that. It was just as worse for me, if not more so. But there was a side of me that I fucking liked it. Like I wanted the girl to be bad. Like she wouldn't have been desirable to me if she wasn't bad if she was just this good little geisha i, I would have got bored i guess i don't know so something was going on with me back then and it wasn't the submissive thing because i'm not it but was something it, was compelling about the uh, uh about the I, wrongdoing i like r- wrongdoers um but Why? but uh they excite me they're cooler people uh, i don't know what it is uh, and i don't mean they steal your money and 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 break your heart i i it, it's again it's just that witchcraft thing it's chaos. it's chaos you like the chaos i guess i like the chaos but but so on the was on the prowl uh, did on the prowl touch a nerve with you in terms of the uh the wrongdoing girl yeah Jamie Jamie was taking the girl on a on a magic carpet ride he invented that whole idea of gonzo porn um, people will debate that, but he is the progenitor of modern porn. He came out of the, the New York scene where they were shooting on film cameras, and he, he came from Broadway. Him and Al Pacino were the two new young actors in New York, and they were equal when they were first starting out. And Al went to become Al, and Jamie went to become Jamie. That gives you a kind of a backstory of who Jamie really was. Yeah. But then the video age comes. After his 10-year kind of run in the 70s golden age, now it's all of a sudden it's camcorders and stuff. You know, Burt Reynolds' character in Boogie Nights, you know, on the lookout. That's all just tributes to Jamie. Yeah. Jamie did all that. So, 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 I don't know. There was something about the way he would take girls out into the world and they would get in trouble together, like Bonnie and Clyde. That No one has ever done that before or since. They were very powerful for me. So I guess, And I guess I was doing stuff maybe like it in my personal life, not on camera though. I found an ad. I had seen one on the prowl and it was my favorite movie in the world. I became a fan. And then I found some ad in the back of a magazine. It was a a San Francisco phone number and it was a place you could send money and get more on the prowls. So I call the number and um, Jamie answered the phone. (laughs) You know, like I'm, I'm not even 19 or whatever. I don't know. I don't even know how old I was, but, but, um, you know, he, hello, you know, it's Jamie. And I talked to him for a minute and I was, I was starstruck because I knew who it was. I could recognize the voice. You know, it was the guy from the movie. So so I sent him money and he sends me an On the Prowl. And he's the very first guy I'm introduced to because he knows a friend of mine in, in New York. He's, he Jamie was the first guy to see my first movie. I had a rough cut of it and I was invited to a friend's uh, theater in, on Broadway in New York, very successful theater guy who's really good friends with Jamie at the time. I'm sitting in this uh, high-powered show business office overlooking Broadway, and I'm showing Jamie the rough cut of Stunt Girl, and he really liked it. And the thing about Jamie was, uh, apparently the legend was, he didn't like anything. So he liked my movie. And then then years later after that, we stayed in touch and we wrote. I was trying to get him in a movie. It didn't work because he didn't like to fly. I wasn't shooting in New York after a while. I was shooting out here, and he hated L.A., so he almost was in a zipper movie in a scene with Sasha Gray that never happened. I mean, then he died on me, so he'll never be able to be in that scene. But in my mind, I still see the scene. Now, by the time you had met him, uh-huh. he, he was no longer involved in the adult industry. He was a well, kept man. Maybe. He was a kept man. He liked to gamble. He went to the Indian casinos and just kind of played poker. But he was not against the idea of being in a zipper movie. And 
he was, had silver hair and he still looked exactly the same except for his silver hair. And I just, I just saw this amazing scene where he'd be kind of walking down a New York street in the rain in a long overcoat and very, you know, very Burroughs, very Brian Geisen Burroughs kind of scene for him. And then he goes up the stairs of the old Broadway theater, which I had the location in my hip pocket. I could have shot it. And, um, Sasha Gray would have been in a giant bird cage up on the roof. <laughs> and it was Last Tango in Paris, kind of with Jamie and Sasha, and I really wanted to shoot it. What's the attraction of young women to the creepy old man? What's well, I don't the, know. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know how attracted the the women are to the to the creepy old dude, but the creepy old dude the, I've, the attraction I've, is obvious. The uh well, the attraction is obvious definitely, but I've I've some girls like to jump out of airplanes without a parachute, and a young guy doesn't know how to do that for them. If a girl is uh, sacrosexual and is attracted to, to intellect and personality, then they're going to go for somebody who's got some experience and knows how to get the job done or take them on a magic carpet ride, which is what Jamie was doing in On the Prowl, and that's what I was attracted to. I like creating the environment with a girl. Like When I'm attracted to a girl and she's attracted to me, we're creating environments together. That's where it's at for me. So I guess that's what I was seeing early. you know. And then you know, years later, we were writing letters back and forth and um he had sent he sent me some on the prowls that no one's ever seen that i have kind of tucked away <laughs> i don't know that was full circle for me like right away bang my first movie i got like approval from the guy i thought was was the best right on the heels of that was andrew blake stepping in and opening doors for me i felt like there was a legitimate thread here for an artist i felt like i was behaving like a like a filmmaker i felt like i was behaving like a director um, I felt like I wanted to do justice to the material and I was meeting guys that I thought were great at it and that's the path I stayed on the whole time and then all the ins and outs of the business and all the political wranglings and all the economic despair and all the bullshit and all the condom laws that's all background noise for me like I'm just gonna do it the way I think it's cool to do it or just not do it I mean I'll just go do something else I'm fine with that too but there is room to do it and 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 you know obviously now you can just kind of own your own content put it online and just have a direct connection to to your audience it seems like a no-brainer to somebody who's 22 years old right now but trust me five or six years ago it wasn't clear how to do that if you had already been in the business like me Right. I think I think the biggest pitfall of anybody in the business is remembering how it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I was getting, you know, the first couple of movies I did, I remember bringing a check for $46,000 to the bank and depositing in the bank with Larry Flint's signature on it. You know, and that was $46,000 to go make a porn movie. Mm-hmm. That was more than enough money to make a porn movie. I mean, I went and made Squealer, and everybody thinks it cost 150000 but no, it cost about 46. And um, trust me, every dollar's on the screen. I had what I felt was more than enough money to execute a porn movie because I didn't have to uh, worry about scripting, uh, real actors, and gigantic logistic situations like a feature film in Hollywood. I mean, we're talking about an indie-sized movie, but that wasn't a bad-sized indie. No. And, 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 and you, you take that money and you spread it over a three-day shoot. As long as you get your six hardcore sex scenes you've delivered you're on your contract so everything else i did were layers that i was able to add on top of my commitment i had to deliver the goods but how how i spent the money otherwise or the layers of stuff i put on the screen 
were whatever I wanted to do. And that was a lot more money than I'd ever had to make a movie. So now Squealer was what? 2007. I think so. All right. 46 grand in 2007. Uh, do you remember your location? Yeah, we shot up. Um, it's the same, uh, scary murder houses that uh, are in the Rob Zombie movies. It's a place called Sable Ranch. It's up near here where I live. It's uh, it's a little farther north, but it's it's a it's a real western town in a western location. It's a huge piece of property. There's tons of unique buildings on the property, and millions of movies have been shot there. So forty six grand, huge distribution with Hustler, two thousand seven. Yeah, six scenes. Now these days, you would. You know, the, the one and only porn movie I shot was in 2009. What was the it, name of that? It was um, The Facts of Life Triple X. Oh, okay. It was, it was nominated for a screenwriting award. Certainly. And Cheers. Thank you. And it, uh, our budget was seventeen five. Right. And it was a five-scene movie. Right. Uh, the next movie I was offered was uh, for 9500 and it would have been a four-scene movie. Yeah, well, that's what's that's what's been happening every year. It's less, and um, the movies get shittier and shittier because of that. So you you just shot your last movie, and you're launching your website this week. Yeah, well, soon, a couple of weeks. All right. This, hey, somebody could be listening to this podcast in the 22nd century. So who cares? <laughs> Hello to you. I'm dead. So is Graham, by the way. I'm still still fluttering around somewhere. We exist somewhere. Information cannot be destroyed in this universe. Einstein proved that. So, yeah, the budgets have become progressively smaller and um, the movies get progressively shittier. But the performers remain cool. You see, that's my point. For me, being a director of a movie, that's where it becomes dicey. One of the definitions I have for being a film director is you have really good credit. People give you a budget and they trust you not to squander it and piss it away so i consider being a director having really good credit it's like if we give zipper the money he's going to deliver a cool movie that sounds simple until everything under the sun gets in the way of delivering the cool movie so you have to be really stubborn and you have to protect the investment if the industry is contracting at the same time so that $46,000 is like $46,000. You can make 10 movies with that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I get it. But my relationship to the industry changes because I feel like my credit's being taken away. I feel like I got a really good credit score, but they're still taking it away. Huh. You know what I mean? So that's a problem. So, uh, you know, guys like me have to eventually just own their own stuff and have a website and just work with whoever you can so who's in the in the latest movie and and are, and are you releasing it on this website that may or may not have come out a couple of centuries ago right jack that that was back in the 21st century that that fucking thing is it still there i really um, enjoyed that century yeah it was a good century for me too yeah no jack is now like a streaming platform and and you know everything i do is finally just right there like, like nobody's got to wonder if they like something i've done they know where to go to find every other thing i've i've done and i will do then the new movie is uh scenes i'm putting up one one after another what's the uh what's the unifying thread though uh the unifying thread is so for example killers which was my favorite movie of last year thanks um it it had several you know 
standout scenes, but the uh, the um, the mold that kept it all together was that each of each of these women was, you know, a, a badass assassin, a badassin. Yeah, well, it's like a like a James Bond movie meets a very small movie. You know, I, I was calling it Warhol meets Skyfall. <laughs> yeah, you because know, that's the budget, and that's the uh, that's the uh, what I'd like to see happen. It had to do with like a super drug and contracted hit men and women, and they need love too. So it was it's it's kind of based on a spy thriller. It looks like a spy thriller. It kind of looked like Girl with the Dragon Tattoo a little too. It had a lot of shadow. It had good shadow. It's an example of a modern DSLR kind of movie shot with prime lenses. It looks pretty pretty tight for 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 the budget. It's about having the right people, man. I had Nacho Vidal. I mean, I needed a bad guy. I needed a Bond villain. Yeah, and Nacho I, Vidal and, and Jocelyn James. Yeah, what that is, blew yeah. my mind. They're amazing. And jo- Jocelyn Jocelyn James was come the blind fury. All I knew about her was that she was. Tiger Woods' girlfriend at at one point. She was the one that a rental. She was the one that dragged Tiger down, and she was the witch that that uh, poisoned Tiger's empire. And and I cool as fuck person by the way, Jocelyn. Yeah, and cool when as I, fuck person. When I watched that scene, I thought if if I knew how to golf, I would throw it all away yeah. for this person. No, Jocelyn James is really cool. She she lives in Vegas now, um, as she should, as well she should. She has a real relationship with her fans. She's a real movie star. She acts like a star. She acts like a, an icon. She does all the right. She understands why. She's in front of cameras. This is what I'm talking about. I ran into Nacho by accident. He happened to be in L.A. at that moment. I met him in Vegas, but he was in L.A. working for a month, and then he was going back to Europe, and that was it. It was like the Loch Ness Monster that he was available in L.A. to shoot a movie. He's never in L.A. to shoot anything. He's got his own empire in Spain. So... I talked him into doing killers, you know, and he shows up, looks exactly like a Bond villain, just has everything I could possibly ask for, you know, to be the male energy in the scene. And I didn't need him for the first hour or two. So he's wandering around this big warehouse where we we were shooting some other stuff first, you know, and I see him just picking around, looking, kind of nosing around. looks like he was calculating things, just really examining the set, which guys don't, you hire these guys to do porn movies. Trust me, they don't do that. So, so he caught my attention. Finally, it was kind of time for, for him. He came up to me and he said, Jack, I found, I found these two chairs. And uh, there's a red chair and there's the black chair. And which one do you think is the right chair for the scene? And I said, well, Nacho, the, the red chair looks like it really fits this room, doesn't it? He goes, that's exactly what I thought, yes. <laughs> so that was it. Me and Nacho, we got together on the red chair instead of the black chair. And then I told him, hey, look, I'm, I'm just going to roll I'm just going to roll tape, man. I'm not going to stop and start you guys. You guys are super pros. I'm really proud to have you guys on, on my movie. I'm not going to direct, obviously. I'm going to just try and really kind of keep blocking and framing and shooting and getting you guys, you do your thing, you know? And um, he appreciated that. And then he showed me some, uh, something on it. He showed me his children playing on his, the floor of his living room live on his phone from <laughs> Spain. So he's watching his kids playing on the floor in, in his living room back home in Spain while he's about to go do the scene with Jocelyn. So what I love about these Euro guys, like Rocco Sofredi and him, they got their wedding ring on. Mm-hmm. You know, These are real male stars, uh, guys like that. So he begins the scene, and they do this tour de force 90-minute thing, crazy, just all over the warehouse, destroy each other. 
and he blocked the entire scene. That's what he was doing for the first two hours before I needed him. He was blocking the scene the way Jet Li blocks a kung fu fight scene. That's what he was doing. That Trust me, that's unheard of in adult. And man, that took me by surprise because I knew I would get magic out of Nacho, but I didn't know that Nacho literally choreographed every single move and didn't even have to bring Jocelyn in on the choreography. He was, he carried her through his choreography without her even having to worry about it. And it was just, it was like, it was like watching a tango master, you know, literally, no, literally. I'm not, I'm not, trust me, I'm not exaggerating. I was blown away by how good he was. Well, what, what a lot of people don't know is that it's the, it's the male talent who is rightfully the, the assistant director on, on most porn movies you see. Unless you got a bad editor, yeah. Male energy is essential. So who you allow to be on your set working with these women is of vital importance. And and when you got a guy like Nacho, his his face is in is in a lot of shots because he's a, he's a, he's an actor. He's got stage presence. But uh, I would say 85% of the zipper stuff, you don't see the guy's face. You don't know who he is. He's just energy. Now, one of your your very first scenes, uh, another another male talent who's really fantastic is Manuel Ferrara. Yeah, the very first scene I ever shot. That's an example of Venus showing up in her street clothes. Man, I didn't I didn't put her in those clothes. She showed up in her street clothes to the hotel in in Las Vegas. Well, we took her to a little sleazy motel in the old part of Vegas and we shot that there. So her the first scene you shot, very for, first scene I ever shot for Stunt Girl One, which one? Best scene, uh, best boy girl, uh, Manuel and Venus both won for that. I won best director and won best film uh, at the AVN Awards that year, 2004. But but that was the um, very first scene I ever shot with pros. And um, it was like butter. It was the easiest scene to this day that I've ever shot. It just was effortless. It was like painting with a sumi paintbrush, <laughs> like Japanese calligraphy, shooting those two. They were perfect. People don't realize that there are amazing porn stars that are like Barishnikov. And then there are, you know, just hot girls or something, mm-hmm. you know, in a Girls Gone Wild video. But, you know, there's everything in between. I mean, you, you're right. Uh, adult is a microcosm of Hollywood itself. And you've, you've got fantastically talented people and you've, you've got people who, who don't necessarily live it in their hearts. Maybe. Well, that's the despair. Are we back to the despair? Yeah, let's get well, back to the despair. I I know that uh, that you've en- that you've enjoyed this despair thing. I I think Hollywood is a Hollywood is a place of hope, and it's the it's the hope that kills you. And a lot of people and the the opposite of hope is despair. Yeah, and uh, sometimes the the people who are successful make it that middle way in between the hope and the despair, but. You know, these days I just read this article in the uh, the L.A. Times magazine called uh, "Leaving Los Angeles," and it was about the drought. It was about the cost of living. You know, if if I were to continue talking about it, I would add things to it and invent things and throw things into the article that I would myself have put in. Sure. But essentially, it's about the cost of living. It's about the economic downturn. It's about the drought. It's about the inability. Mm-hmm. to get work mm-hmm. and porn being the microcosm of LA that it is porn is suffering that drought as yeah. well oh yeah no I, I probably couldn't get a director gig now 
to save my life. Like, like, like I, 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 I wouldn't try because I've been in all those offices. I've sat in all those meetings and they're just ridiculously boring and, and you end up not owning the content. So these, these things that are going to be on your website, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I produced myself that, right. uh, um, you know, you're right in one sense. I, I worked for a lot of different labels, but it was always a Jack the Zipper movie. And, um, each deal was a unique deal. So the lion's share of the good stuff is available. And then tons of new stuff. I'm focusing on new stuff. I, I want it to be simpler. I want it to be more immediate. I like the idea of not having to work nine months on a movie. I kind of like the idea of maybe getting together for a scene and having it up on the site within a day or two. Well, it's really nice watching you work. When we, were, uh, when we were hanging out in Vegas and doing... Doing is the wrong word. You could word. call it work. I, exactly. It was a it was a great time, and it uh, it sort of harnessed the exuberance of doing a photo shoot, of the um, the energy of mm-hmm. porn stars that mm-hmm. you know kind of kind of makes this this mm-hmm. job fun. Yeah, uh, it, there's a uh, there's a picture that I want to put up on the site, and we were looking at it earlier from that from that photo session of uh, Marina Angel and you. Uh, yes, uh, I'm in there as well. That's that's pretty good. And that's yeah. That's I like pro- that you I like that you posed with her, and I like that you showed up in a suit. See, we have Graham in a suit, and we have Marina Angel not in a suit, and it, it, they work perfect. Together, yeah, together it really worked good. Yeah, no, those. I, I yeah, please use them. You know, uh, I would love it if you used them. But there's a there's a picture in particular that we were talking about. You were talking about the Fibonacci sequence. <laughs> Uh, oh, and sacred, it, sacred geometry, and it's just Marina. Yeah, and she's uh, she's got her her right elbow uh, parallel to the ground. She's ripping a bong, and there, her, there's a really nice plume of smoke coming out of her mouth, and she's sitting in this kind of way. Well, the, the oh, there's a there's a couple. I'm sorry. Yeah, there was there was one that you talked about. This is the part of a woman that you always like. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, let, let's talk about that one first. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, so, like under under a girl's arm, down under her past her armpit, down her rib cage, all the way down to, you know, just that whole side. Does side it matter of, if she's fat or thin? Uh, everything matters. I mean, it matters who the girl is. In the case of Marina, we were looking at that picture, and I was like, I just happened to say to you, that's my favorite part of a girl. Just yeah. see, see the way she's standing. You just see her side. It's all side. It's not the rubbery parts. It's not the X-rated bits. It's the. It's like her rib cage, and she has like a pretty underarm, and she has like a pretty hip, you know, and just like all the way up to you know, yeah. Well, I, I think I think that's that's the thing that um, porn directors give to the world. A view, yeah, their their view. You're sharing your view, and you you might you might think, well, I don't I don't necessarily have a view. I'm I'm representing the the wants and needs of the public. Well, that's, but that's what, what happens you're in showing. Those, that's what happens in those meetings. See, what happens in those meetings is now you go in there with guys with tassels on their shoes. <laughs> they got a job at a big company, but they may or may not have ever held a camera or something. Everybody's got an opinion on sex. That's the if you want to know what the problem is with being a, a creative person in in porn is that porn is like high school. Everybody has an opinion 
and anyone can pick up a camera. Sex doesn't belong to anybody. So there's very little filtering. Like, like it, it's literally, imagine if you had to hang out with everybody in high school instead of break off into your tribes. Hmm. That's what's going on, you know? That's what Porn Valley really is. It's like, maybe you're into sacred geometry and maybe the guy that's hiring you is a jock with a camcorder who likes... Whose father to, gave him the company. Who likes P-U-S-S-Y and that's it, you know? And he just like, you know, drank beer his whole life. Like, who the fuck knows? Like, like whoever can be in porn. You know, if you, whatever your path in, it can it can be from anywhere. It's, it it doesn't filter out someone's knowledge of art history or film history. Like so, so it's kind of a free for all. It's the reason I got in. On you know, actually, if you want to get technical, like that's how I kind of shimmied in. But if you want to do really good stuff, maybe you're gonna be on set with people that don't give a give a crap. You know, like maybe they just they're you know they're there for the day and that's it. But when you're in the meetings. And they're trying to steer their company to bigger profits in the new quarter. You're not really talking about all this stuff that we're talking about right now. We're talking about people's opinions on on sex itself. It's way too general and way too watered down. And what I think only works if it doesn't get in the way of the company's you know agenda. So so you have to sneak it in. I. Yeah, I stubbornly just make a zipper movie. Like, like for me, I didn't want to make porn. I just started making movies. So I needed to find ways to make movies. Like, I needed to find money to make movies. One of the director's jobs is to land a budget. If you're not able to sit in rooms with people and talk them out of the money to make something, you're not a director. That's a huge part of it. I didn't mind making one for Hustler and then making one for Vivid because like, I thought of it as a challenge. I was like, well, Hustler represents this to me. I grew up reading Hustler, okay? So I made Squealer. I made a hillbilly ass fuck movie because Larry Flint reminded me of that. Like, what can I tell you? You know, so, so I made Squealer, you know, but then I made, you know, King Cobra for Vivid because they had just tried to get me to open a whole new division of their company and they wanted it to be all emo and I'm not into that crap so I made a biker flick for them almost as a reaction but 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 um you know and then and then I made you know the girl girl movies I made were kind of like again a nod to Andrew Blake and what he used to do like I went to Hawaii and I made Cannibal Queen and I was in the jungle in Kauai for a month you know working on that it's a girl girl movie if you don't like girl girl movies you know what can i tell you but but if you do you probably never saw one like that i I haven't seen that so will that be available on the uh yeah i'll I'll lay a copy on you before you leave but 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 um you know i mean i mean will it be available on the uh the website yeah oh cool absolutely you know zero you know the other girl girl movie um that i did is is a is a tribute to grindhouse 70s film from japan you know zero is just if you're into you know those movies there's a lot of stuff hidden in those in zero that's japanese grindhouse you know so 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 just yeah you have an opportunity you your people are getting together on a set putting on cool outfits and doing something it's exactly like making any other movie there's no difference you still have to imagine something and get it to exist and appear on somewhere 
and somebody gets to see it with their eyes and it's not it's not different <laughs> than, than, than any other filmmaking it's just not the only thing that's different is the radioactive nature of sex itself if somebody looks at a movie and there's too much sex in it and they don't like that that is a bad thing it's a bad movie it's not a real movie it's radioactive if somebody doesn't care it's just a movie I didn't care so they're just movies to me let's uh let's finish up with a a quick discussion of this one last picture okay. um as I said to you I'm not I'm not really a photographer I know what I like okay um and I was saying that I know about the rule of threes okay but here's this picture of Marina Angel who if she were shot by someone else she might look completely different but here she looks a little dangerous, a little wild, and you've got her ripping a bong, and the uh, the smoke. I don't have her doing that. She brings that bong wherever she goes. Okay, and, and she's just cool like that. And point taken. I did. I did. Um, I did split a bag of mushrooms with her, though. Ah, that that must. Unfortunately, you didn't get all of that on on film. No, it's 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 there. There's but, a, there's another very famous porn star in my new thing I don't know how she feels about talking about this so I won't say who but we did mushrooms uh, for the very f she had done them for the very first time with me on set the day we shot it and you just literally see her consciousness expanding <laughs> in the scene it's pretty cool and it's very obvious her and she her tremendous consciousness well no she agrees I mean we've we've watched the footage since and um, she's like wow uh, I can't believe we caught that on film. And um, it was an important moment for her. But back to this photo of Marina Angel. Yes. And we're talking about the sacred geometry. Notice how much we love Marina Angel. <laughs> we we, we do. So we do. We, we bonded over Marina Angel. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and she's somebody that not a lot of people know. You know, people know, people know Sasha Gray. Yeah. Uh, Marina Angel looks a lot like Sasha Gray. I guess, you know, yeah. Sasha Gray came from the unincorporated areas outside of Sacramento. Yes. Marina Angel comes from, let's say, Jacksonville. Yeah. Uh, there, there's something similar about these two people from opposite ends of the of the world. There's there's something just a little bit ragged, uh, yeah, appealingly ragged. Tell you something about Sasha though. Um, the very first Sasha movie is is one of my movies called Razor Dolls. You know, Sasha had been in the business for like a week, maybe. I think she did, you know, she probably did five movies that week. But one of the first movies was Razor Dolls. It introduced a lot of people to her. She had just signed with Spiegler, mm -hmm. you know, minutes before. Spiegler is uh, is one of the premier porn agents in Porn Valley. Yeah, he's the best agent in, in the biz. Mark, you know, she had just signed with him. And I was just casting and shooting Razor Dolls, which was kind of like a reaction to Suicide Girls and all that stuff. Right. Um, so... Sasha showed up and was a cons again a consummate professional. She was 18 years old. She didn't say anything. She just did her job and she didn't hang out and she didn't go party with us after the show. She got in a car and went home, went to bed and woke up, went and made, you know, like fashionistas or whatever the fuck she did that week. But she's a consummate professional. You could tell the, the minute you met her, you could just tell. She was nice, she was friendly, she was smart. She was amazing on camera. She was quiet and sat in the corner. When it was time to shoot, she just destroyed in the mm -hmm. scene. I mean, just took it to another level, took it to 11, 
and then she got in her car and went home, went to bed. Like, that was it. And we went on to do a few movies together. And she was always that way, you know, uh, just always cool, has that little Mona Lisa kind of thing. You don't know what she's thinking. You could always see her, you could always see her wheels turning in every picture of her. You look at a picture of Sasha Gray, the wheels are turning. And that's why she's special because people feel it. They relate. But again, I digress from Marina. Uh, that's, that's okay. That's all right. That, that's the nature of these things. We're not going to have we're not going to have an editor do this because it's uh, it's fascinating and it's tantalizing. There's no rules, mate. So this this photo we've got of Marina Angel here up on the uh, up on the screen. Okay. Uh, you're talking about the sacred geometry. Yeah. Um, what is it about the framing of this picture? You know, I, I like the smoke mm-hmm. in the middle, but mm-hmm. that you know that's. Uh, it's very superficial. What is it about the framing that makes this an appealing photo to you? Okay, well, it's it's a signature style that I that I've been doing. When I first started shooting, I didn't know why I was framing my shots the way I was. I, later, I learned about things like Dutch angles and sacred geometry. A typical standard classic photograph, uh, imagine a vacation photo of a mountain. The, the horizon line is straight across. The ground occupies a certain percentage of the shot. The mountain itself would occupy another percentage of the shot. The sky would occupy another percentage. In a typical classic landscape, everything's kind of perpendicular, 90 degree angles, straight horizontals and verticals. You look at a movie like, like Vertigo by Hitchcock, and everything's cocked on sort of 45 degree angles. Like imagine taking a sheet of glass and smashing it with a hammer. Imagine all the, the, the fractal angles that appear in a, a seemingly chaotic way. But if you catch them while you're shooting something, it's, it wakes the viewer up. Uh, your, your, your eye sees the picture slightly more amplified it's like ampl- it's like a, it's like an acoustic guitar versus an electric guitar you're, you're amplifying the shot by getting away from verticals 90 degree angles and squares and you know uh, uh you're getting more into what you know people call it dutch angles so so that's a shot of marina exactly how i would have maybe shot her if she was in a in a movie i, I would have shot the video the same way and there's so. a lot of diagonals and 45 degree angles and they it. all line up in a certain parallel way so so they're not just random they're they're shards of glass perfectly placed and it's supposed to vibrate your eye just a little more maybe you don't even realize why and and then obviously like the center of that image is her her eyes so you may see her nipples, you may see her body, but you're really just going to anchor at her eyes and you're going to see that she's thinking about something and she's awake and she's alive. So the picture is working on all those levels for me. And that's why I would maybe pick that one out of an edit. It's just doing all those things. And you'll see stuff like that, again, like I said, in a Hitchcock movie or, or any kind of forced perspective stuff like Breaking Bad did it a lot. Uh, it, everybody does it. I mean, you know, a good cameraman is aware of it and will use it for an effect. If you want the scene to be more quiet and introspective, you'd go back to classic lines and that would maybe calm you down. Maybe, mm. maybe you need to hear what somebody's saying in the scene. So maybe you don't need all that. I was just watching Crank the other night again, Statham. Mm-hmm. You know, Dutch angles out the ass in that movie. You know, because you're supposed to literally just be, you know, 
neurotically coming off your chair the whole time you're watching the movie. So it's just a, it's a symphony of Dutch angles and forced perspective. Well, I've, uh, I really appreciate your perspective, Jack. Thanks for coming over here, man. Let's do this again. All right. Well, there you go. The charming, inscrutable, Dutchly angled Jack the Zipper. For more news from the world of porn, check out GameLink's Naked Truth at GameLink.com or find me where I have been since 2005, GrahamPanante.com. Next week, a big treat, my interview with Daniel Stewart, comedian, uh, survivor, and the best ever host of the AVN Awards show. Until then, I love you.